Hey friends, this is Linda and welcome back to Calling Water, the podcast where we look at a passage in the Bible and think about what it means and what it calls us to do. In today's episode, No Longer Worthy, we're looking at the story of the lost son in Luke chapter 15 and how God truly celebrates each of us when we are found again. Let's get started. The main story in today's text, Luke chapter 15, is the story of the lost son, or more commonly known as the prodigal son. Most, if not all of you listening to this episode, have probably heard of the story. It's the one where a young, entitled kid gets an advance on his inheritance, squanders it, then comes crawling back when it all runs out. It's a cautionary tale and often a reflection of our own spiritual wandering at times and how God, depicted as the gracious father in the parable, always welcomes us back with loving arms. But have you ever thought about the extent to which God welcomes the lost son? It's not with reluctance, but with rejoicing that the father runs to embrace his ungrateful child. This reaction, as portrayed in the parable Jesus told, is kind of a direct slap in the face for his audience. Because Jesus doesn't just tell this one story of the lost son, he tells three parables back to back about lost things, and it wasn't at random. Jesus tells these parables for a reason. Now to know the reason, we have to back up to the beginning of the chapter, and there's a little bit of social commentary happening in Luke chapter 15 verses 1 and 2 about who Jesus decides to spend his time with. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, It's difficult for us in this day and age to really grasp this deep prejudice that the religious leaders had against this crowd that hangs with Jesus. Not to say that their sentiments are justified, but we have to remember that their ways of doing things had been handed down to them for generations. It's hundreds of years of tradition in the making. So for Jesus to blatantly go against the customs and purity laws that have been handed down to them from Moses himself was not only difficult for them to understand, but also quite offensive. They had been conditioned to see the margins of society as faceless entities for the most part. Those outcasts, no doubt, were that way because of their sins or the sins of their parents. And to some extent, they probably believed that this kind of unholiness was even contagious because they never sought to associate with them ever. Now, Jesus knew these traditions and preconceived ideas about the quote-unquote other much too well. But instead of simply stomping all over their archaic worldviews, he leans into his message with a series of parables. The first one is about lost sheep. In verse 3, Jesus says, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? In verse 5, he tells a second parable. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Now Jesus tells these parables like this is the normal thing to do. But is it, though? 
Does it make sense to ditch the 99 sheep in pursuit of one? Or to turn your house upside down to search for one coin? It's just one sheep. It's just one coin. Notice that Jesus makes each lost item sound more valuable by upping the ratio too. Okay, one out of 99 doesn't seem valuable to you. How about one out of 10? And now, what about one out of 2? And then starting in verse 11, he tells the famous story of the lost son. Now, if you need a refresher, the story is about a father with two sons. The younger of the two asks his father for his share of the inheritance. The father gives it to him. Then the son leaves home and proceeds to spend it wastefully. Then a famine comes across the land and the younger son, now penniless, resorts to working for a pig farmer. And it gets to such a low point, he starts envying the pigs. And it was in this deep valley of his life, he realizes how good he had it in his father's house. So he makes up his mind to ask to be just a servant in his father's house. He even prepares a little speech in verses 18 through 19 that he would say when he got home. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now the son claims that he is no longer worthy to be his father's son. And that's compelling to me because that means at some point in his life, he felt like he was worthy of being the son. Because really think about it. When exactly was he worthy? Was it when he defiantly asked his dad for his share of the inheritance? Certainly not. And now that his life is in shambles, he declares he's unworthy as though his worth was wrapped up in his performance as his father's son, rather than simply the fact that he was his father's son. The fact of the matter is, he was at the same time always worthy and never worthy to be his father's son. What I mean to say is, his sonship wasn't something that he earned. It wasn't a merit that he can earn or lose. His identity was being his father's son. So regardless of his missteps, the father would always love him and accept him. And if the father in this parable represents God, the point of the story is that God also loves and accepts all of us. He loves us and celebrates us even though we are one out of trillions as though we are the only ones. And I do realize that this is not always a relatable metaphor for everyone because everyone has different relationships with their fathers. I remember one time in seminary, I partnered up with this girl during a spiritual formation class. And she and I talked about how we both grew up with single mothers. And I told her that because I didn't really know what dads were supposed to be like, I had this very picturesque ideal and referring to God as my father was very easy for me because God would be the father I never knew. But for her, she was very angry with the fact that her father had left her. So when she became a Christian, she struggled with calling God father. And I also know that some of you have very strained relationships with your fathers or father figures. So let's not try to make this parable from Jesus 
fit into the confines of our own experiences, but let's see how we fit into the narrative of God's story. Because the parable of the lost son tells us more about the father than about the son. We know all about the younger son. We understand his struggles, his impatience at wanting to get rich now, and even his desire to just freely live his life without the responsibility that comes with being a member of his father's house. We get that completely. But what is harder to get is how the father handles the entire thing. First of all, what impertinence that the son would come and demand his inheritance as though it was his to begin with, and then goes gallivanting around town doing some pretty irresponsible things with his newly gained wealth and freedom, and then he dares to come back to dad, hoping that he could just be in proximity to the goodness that is his father. And the father just wraps himself around this filthy, rebellious man-child and celebrates his return. Who does that? He actually celebrates. God doesn't just permit his son to return home. He is overjoyed that his son has come back. Why? Because he might have used his free will to walk away from the father, But by the same token, he chose to return home. He chose his father. And this is the missing link that Jesus wanted to convey to those onlooking religious leaders who were appalled by the company Jesus kept. Jesus is telling them, you say I welcome sinners and eat with them? You bet I do. And I love it. And circling back to his first two parables, what happens when the shepherd finds his missing sheep? Verse 8 says, he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. And what about when the woman finds her coin? Verse 9 says, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. And now when this wayward son trudges back home, all sorts of celebrating happens. The best robe was put on him, a ring was put on his finger, new sandals on his feet, a fattened calf was served, there was music, dancing. And Jesus says that whenever one person comes to God, there is a similar heavenly party and you're all invited. It says in Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17, the Lord your God is in your midst, the mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. So if and when you ever find yourself lost, there is always a way back. And when you make it back, you're not just welcome. God is throwing a party because you're here. But not everyone appreciates God's forgiveness and compassion. It's like When you were a kid and you tattled on someone, admit it, you did it. Because let's face it, we really wanted to see that kid get in so much trouble. And then the grown-up in charge, maybe it was your parent or a teacher, basically just gave them a slap on the wrist and said, don't do it again. That indignant anger you might have felt at that moment is the anger that is felt by the other son in this story, the older brother. 
Now the older brother is livid that his father would throw a party for his good-for-nothing younger brother. And you can tell he's been harboring this feeling for a long time because he just explodes in verses 29 through 30. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Now, even though it took destitution for him to realize this, the younger son comes to realize how much grace his father had given him, that he had never been worthy to be his father's son. But the elder son thoroughly believes he is worthy of his privilege and blessings. And this was a thinly veiled analogy to the way the religious leaders thought they were superior to most in their community. But instead of chastising the lost for being a menace to society, what if they had reached out in kindness? The thing is, while the first two parables talk about the owners searching for the lost items, no one in the story searches for the lost son. Now, whose job might it have been to search for the younger brother? I believe it should have been the older brother. The minute his younger brother ran away, he should have chased him. He should have pleaded with him every step of the way to come home. But instead, the older brother stands idly by. Now, I remember when I made the decision to go into ministry, some people thought it was kind of a waste that I wasn't pursuing medicine anymore, but most people weren't surprised. I had grown up in and often literally lived at church. Sometimes I low-key wished I had a more gritty testimony, you know, like I fell in with the wrong crowd but had a radical come-to-Jesus moment because those were the kinds of stories that got all the attention back then. But that thought made me no better than the older brother in this parable. Instead of having joy for all that I've experienced as a child of God, I've envied the worldly experiences of the quote-unquote lost and the fact that they got celebrated for it when they decided to give their lives to Christ. But like I said, none of us and all of us are worthy to be loved by God. We're not worthy because none of us have ever done anything to deserve God's love, but we are worthy because God says we are. God doesn't love us more because of our service or love us less for getting lost from time to time. God is in our journey as much as he is in our destination. God gives us space to discover who he is and gives us grace whenever we fall off track. We all get lost from time to time, but the good news is we don't have to stay lost. So where are you today? Are you like the lost sheep that has gone astray and is struggling to find your way home? Because Jesus is searching for you. Are you like the lost coin that doesn't even know that you're lost? Well, sit tight because Jesus is searching for you. Are you the son who willfully ran away? Or are you the son who's bitter and just watching on the sidelines? Because Jesus, our true older brother, is searching for you. 
because the religious leaders got it right. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And not only that, he celebrates that you are sitting at his table. You are worthy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for actively searching for us. Thank you for loving us with the kind of love that leaves the 99 for the one that is lost. And once we are found, you do nothing less than celebrate our return. That's the kind of Father, that's the kind of God you are. And none of us are worthy of that love and compassion, and yet you give it to us freely and abundantly. There is nothing we can do that makes us no longer worthy. Remind us of this love each time we lose our way, and may it be the beacon that points us back to you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>